Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Beyond the Hashtag podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Adubafor. All views are my own, and I represent myself. However, I equally do believe I represent a large community of human beings who are fighting for equality in many senses of the word, and the proof will be in the pudding of this podcast. And I welcome all listeners to episode one. Welcome to the journey, guys. We are going to get our tea stuck in to this episode which is going to be about a reaction to the Premier League's Black Lives Matter initiative and just how we evolve from symbolic progression in society especially in the football world. As we, you may or may not have seen as a listener when the Premier League restarted after COVID-19 we saw Black Lives Matter shirts, um, badges, sort of posters across stadiums, all these kind of things, players taking the knee um, and I'm just going to be giving my reaction to this social protest from a football perspective sort of later on in the episode and as always which is the theme of Beyond the Hashtag, we're going to be giving a tangible solution which can be measured for this topic being discussed. So the authorities that we're trying to put pressure on, like the FA, the Premier League, who really run football and make the changes, they can be held accountable with our suggestions. Before we kick off though, don't forget to follow our socials, Twitter at Beyond Hashtag, Instagram at Beyond Hashtag underscore. Um, You can email us at hello beyond hashtag at gmail.com if you want to make any suggestions or just connect with us in that form all our episodes are going to be available on spotify google soon to be apple podcasts and of course anchor fm Um, also incidentally on anchor fm you can send in voice messages if you want to kind of continue the discussion on the voice basis you can also do the same on our um, instagram dms i'm sure twitter's got voice notes as well so yeah there's many ways to connect with us to continue this discussion and we really really encourage all suggestions all forms of discussion and all ways to take this issue as far as it needs to be taken and also lastly want to shout out any non-football fans listening from a purely social justice perspective and those who are just supporting myself in general um so first out shout out to you and secondly please again use the platforms to connect and ask any questions about anything that i've mentioned and talked about if your understanding is not that great from a football perspective but i'm sure as a human perspective we can all connect on a similar level so that's enough admin let's take you back to 2019 So we saw the overall media coverage of racism really, really step up a notch last year in 2019. The Sky Sports themselves um, started doing racism documentaries. They released a number of episodes. I think they even probably got up to 10 episodes on uh, racism in football, speaking to different people in the media. Um, I believe this was a direct result of Raheem Sterling's sort of outing of the Daily Mail for how they portray young black footballers um, compared to their white counterparts um, with Phil Foden and Tosin, that comparison of how they both bought their parents' houses but was portrayed in completely different ways. And in the last couple of years, whether, you know, more notice has been taken by reporters or the events themselves are actually just becoming more overt to public nature. There's just in general a huge amount of pressure being applied 
to the media outlets who essentially will probably lose their a bit of their own integrity unless you're the sun for not reporting which is the, not reporting the undeniable truth which is you know the nature of racism in our society in britain so naturally in 2020 um especially during the pandemic um and from let's say around may onwards with the george floyd death you know a lot of people had time in their days to just basically take more notice of racism um george floyd's death wasn't unique in its nature per se um i can reel off hundreds sadly hundreds of names <laughs> of people in america and people even in in the uk that we live in that have been killed um due to the color of their skin essentially so but i just think the timing of the george floyd death matched with the pandemic and everyone being in lockdown so having more time to kind of focus on these issues that's what lit the torch paper for what now seems as the global fight against racism um specifically to black people i mean we see we saw that day on instagram and social media where everyone put black squares out that wasn't friendly for (laughs) for my eyes but it was the world showing that they're in the same kind of boat against the fight against racism so it stepped up this year Although I will add that that Instagram campaign campaign also basically highlighted the kind of performative um, acts that people love to do. And yeah, another example of symbolic progression where people are looking as if they're interested in an issue and yeah, just kind of virtue signaling on a larger extent, um, especially through social media. So that day didn't really do a lot for me and I was one of of the people who were saying okay this day is great in may i think is what when it happened but let's talk again in december when or if and when we see uh, some actual progression with these issues so yeah we'll part that one but one thing it did show and obviously prove is that you know racism is by no means a football only issue in fact it's the other way around where football is a microcosm of society um and it shows what people experience in everyday life um and, you know, in March 2019, my sister, who was 11 year, years old at the time, in year seven in the UK, she was referred to as a monkey by a, an Asian, by Asian and white classmates. And, you know, this fight to change the values being installed in people's households is a generational one. But first, we have to eliminate the overt nature of racism itself in those instances. You know, why do people feel so comfortable to voice their racist views on society? Stop and think, why, why, do they, why, why do they feel that just comfort, that, you know, that freedom to be able to do that? Because the system protects them from the, those consequences. There's minimal consequences for those overt racist acts um, unless, you're, unless you can fully prove it and go to the court of law and people can get the, themselves out of it, but... Ultimately, the system will always protect those kind of people. And until that changes, we won't see the regression of those overt racist acts, unfortunately. Um, even myself, um, just you know, a couple of weeks before recording this, I was the subject of some racial quote-unquote banter um, on the street from a couple of white men who were referring to me as Akin Fenwa and Stormzy, um, t- two black men who look nothing alike each other in terms of shape and face and more importantly look nothing like me like i'm a you know 
big black guy, people might say, but so people could call me Akin Fenn or whatever, but it's just, it's not the point. You're not going to go and call, you know, someone who's, let's say, thin body shaped with brown hair, Boris Johnson. It, just, it wouldn't make sense at all. So, I mean, th- those kind of comparisons are only, sadly, only made to ethnic minorities and most notably black people. Um, just, and it's covered in the form of banter, um, as we see in, in loads of instances, you know, girls will dance in a club or something and immediately i don't know be called beyonce or Nicki minaj because they're dancing in a particular way but you know do you know what i mean like it's just people are like oh no it's just a compliment like nah relax relax and to be honest it just highlights something else that me and my fellow black brothers and sisters will experience so much in society which is you know people will use the most trendy black person to kind of compare you to to quote unquote relate to you so you know whether that's the celebrities that i've mentioned who you look nothing alike but you know people want to be called the culture and you know try it's actually maybe try so much to prove that they're not racist by kind of thinking that they compliment you when really it's a backhanded insult and just shouldn't be made in the first place but i digress one of the main topics I mentioned we're going to be reviewing and talking about in this episode is the Premier League's Black Lives Matter reaction, movement, everything they did in, in relation to that during Project Restart. One of the main instances to come out of this is the reaction to that movement from a section of the Burnley fans who is who flew a White Lives Matter banner with a plane um over their game in the Premier League. I can't, can't remember who they played, but yeah, they flew a White Lives Matter banner over the stadium in direct essentially protest to the protest um of the Black Lives Matter campaign being showing it being shown everywhere. And that just basically shows how long how long of a journey and long of a pathway we have to go. So when Premier League did restart, you know, there was initiatives such as Black Lives Matter badges on the arms of the play shirts there was the black lives matter phrase written instead of the players names on the back of their shirts there's posters in the stands saying black lives matter like because there was no fans so they had to decorate the stadiums in different ways all the players and coaching staffs and referees all took a knee at the start of each game sort of in comparison to what previous american sports stars have done in the past even i know it's something as little as the scoreboard um on the game so whether that's sky or bt i think it was sky saying um black lives matter at eight minutes and 46 seconds of the game um, of each game that i saw that was obviously in relation to the george floyd floyd incident so there was just little touches which were the premier league doing their thing um to support black lives matter um which is good because a lot of it came from the players a lot of it you know was driven by black players who are kind of leaders in that area so troy deeney um, a lot of the captains of the different clubs i know jordan henderson you know captain of premier league champions was a massive part of that and he's a white person which is more we want to see and i'll touch on that but yeah going back to the burnley thing the white lives matter banner again i don't need to go into too many instances about why the phrase white lives matter or the phrase all lives matter just isn't relevant for this particular topic and is is always used as a rebuttal to black lives matter in the complete wrong way but in in reaction to that we had two pundits uh, well a pundit and a captain so ben me 
who is the captain of Burnley, um, and Michael Richards, who's a pundit on Sky. They both address the issue, um, but again, proves how far we need to go because they, both of them kept referring to it as a quote-unquote small minority um, of people who kind of had this view and managed to air this view. Um, pardon the pun, because it was a plane that flew the banner, but it's not a small minority. And, and the more in society we start to realise that this is not a small minority, it's a large amount of people who have this view and who need educating and training and, yeah, who who need to understand what racism actually is, that's when we'll start being able to make the changes that we, we need. The more we shun people out to say, oh, no, it's just a small minority here, small minority there, we won't address anything and we'll just keep kind of shunning the one or two people that do it and, yeah, just, just kind of trying to fight a losing battle, essentially, which which we're not going to do, you know. Big corporations and leaders just need to stop letting this country, the UK, off by brandishing it as a small minority. Because although less people technically go around, you know, throwing bananas at people and, you know, committing violent acts to people as compared to the 80s and the 70s, um, the covert stuff is, is cemented either way. So we have to address the issue as a whole and not just kind of shun it to, oh, you're not getting a banana thrown in your face, so there isn't racism in this country. Caveat to that as well is we've even seen bananas being thrown on the pitch to players as as happened to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang a couple of years ago. So, again, we're going around in circles here and until we address the issue as a whole, it's not going to be addressed in the manner that we need to as humans, not just as, as civilians. So, also we'd like to get to the stage where white players and club managers managers and executives say a lot more than, oh, this is what we're trying to do to change and this is about the movement and the campaign and all these kind of frilly kind of languages and actually really, really talk about the, the issues that are at hand, you know, really describe the issues using their platforms um, to kind of stop skirting around and beating around the bush, like really, really say, no, this is an issue of racism from white people to black people and it needs to be changed through education and this and that and really go deep into the examples and I was kind of referring to Ben Me, the Burnley captain's interview in reaction to uh, White Lives Matter but I'll forgive him a little bit because he was straight after a 90 minute game of football and you know he's probably tired and whatever and he, he did well to actually give the statement in the first place but it's more of a cultural thing that needs to change of the way the Black Lives Matter movement and the issues of racism in society is addressed anyway. Um, and then we, we, we criticise, you know, pundits such as Graeme Souness, um, who's a middle-aged white man um, from Scotland. He's a pundit for football. Um, you know, pundits such as him are criticised all the time and they've come out since Black Lives Matter to ask, you know, how should I change and what can I do? Well, Graeme, you can start with your covert digs at Paul Pogba, let's say, which fuels so much of the fire of the racism towards him. You know, you're always taking little slide digs at how he uh, carries himself off the pitch, etc. Um, along with all the other pundits that mention his hair, his dancing, and just his general <laughs> happy, flamboyant nature. Like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And the more we become comfortable with that, because it's got nothing to do with his football ability... And it just stems from people not liking to see, you know, black characters win, essentially, if, if you want to summarise it. So 
and be happy while they're doing their job and just showing a different side which isn't a robotic head down kind of nature of living everybody's different and the more we embrace that the better our society will become you know black people black players in football are often not allowed to be expressive and they often suffer from lazy pieces of analysis which is a whole nother episode but i'll get into that in weeks to come so it's it's, it's a generational problem that i would caveat because uh, players such as james madison um was criticized for his flamboyant kind of designer bag instances so we know that the Paul Pogba example I've given isn't just a black issue but a large majority of it is a racial issue um, and it stems and always has stemmed from the criticism towards black players themselves and sort of any hint of enjoyment outside their job. So having spoken about the Premier League's initial reaction to the Black Lives Matter, I want to dive a bit deeper into performative acts or, in football, lack of it. Um, A major event that struck me was March 2019, the New Zealand mosque attacks, when a white male went into a mosque and basically opened fire, um, killing over 50 worshippers, as if it was like a video game, um, just as if it was nothing, just no, no remorse, no no stopping um after this event i di- i didn't see a minute silence um across any british football games um i mean given its strong contingent of muslim footballers now as well you know you have to ask the question why 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 was no attention paid to to such an event you tell me you know we're speaking about performative acts in football and other racially charged incidents just don't get the respect they deserve on a regular basis. And, you know, this is not directly a politics or, you know, kind of news-based podcast or show, but look at the outcry for the Paris and the Manchester attacks versus the outcry for the New Zealand terror attacks. The difference is startling. They all happened in a similar period of time within a couple of years of each other, and it's just, it's night and day. Um, and it does, unfortunately, it doesn't even feel like it. it is a fact that football does pick and choose which causes it does and doesn't want to support. And I'm hoping this recent change in mindset with the Black Lives Matter movement will be a trigger, especially in UK football, which is actually a leader. Let's let's call it call it that in the European world compared to its other counterparts. Um, um, another incident. I've got examples upon examples for you guys. Torino, um, which is an Italian club, in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement, they posted a picture with the hashtag Black Lives Matter and fists, um, you know, that emoji fist of different colours. Guess what the picture was? It was a picture of a black player kneeling, a black Torino player, so one of their own players kneeling, and he was kneeling in front of a white man. It basically just looks... I'll post the picture on my socials after, but it just looked as if the black man was bowing and almost like behaving as if he was a servant to the white football player i mean how i've just described it is maybe taking the picture out of context and that's obviously how but that's obviously how not not how they wanted to (laughs) show the picture to be but i mean how many people run a football club's media team how many people are involved in prs for major companies which the torino football club would be someone's got to g-check that picture and say how's it going to look to the whole of society unless you're obviously trying to paint a particular picture which 
they can obviously argue what people can argue about them that they're trying to do because Italy's had a rife, rife history of racism, especially in football. And the examples I have for that one will be here for hours upon hours. So, you know, there's no smoke without fire and the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree with regards to Italian clubs and the Italian mindset. So the UK is a leader. UK is doing a lot of great things, but they've got a long way to go. But just wanted to highlight that example to, to show how other countries in Europe are getting on with their Black Lives Matter kind of stances and fights. But in the spirit of performative acts and virtue signalling, let's talk taking the knee, shall we? So before every game since the Premier League restarted in 2020, a knee has been taken. Um, but one time I heard a commentator refer to it, and it was in July, as the standard practice. So essentially it's become another kind of just pre-game activity, like flipping a coin or like just... I don't know, shaking hands, obviously you can't do that with COVID, but it's just another, just part of the process now. Just, oh yeah, well, yep, taking the knee and do this before we actually get into the proper stuff, which is playing football. So it's just taking the whole meaning away from the whole taking the knee stance. And I look, when I, I watch a lot of football and I look into the eyes of the players and the coaches who are taking this knee, like they just seem like they're going through the motions, especially after the first round of fixtures where they all did it. It just became as a, yeah, no, just blow the whistle, go on a knee for a few seconds and get up. I mean, do they really, really care? Like, I look in some of the eyes of the white players specifically. Like, do they really know what they're kneeling for? Even some of, you know, the black players holding their fists up. It just looks a bit weak. Like, I'm not asking, we're not expecting these players to be political activists, but it's a human issue. Like, this is, we need to get away from the fact that this is a politics issue. It's a human issue and everyone should be fighting for the same cause and have that same energy because it affects them as much as it does their ethnic brothers and sisters. I mean, a classic example, Marcos Alonso, he's a Chelsea fullback, Chelsea defender, white Spanish player. FA Cup final, one of the biggest games in the English football calendar. He didn't even take the knee in that game. Not kind of as a defiant act, but... But he was he was starting the game on the pitch. All the players took the knee, and he kind of just crouched down, like to look as if he was taking the knee on camera. But you zoom into him, and he's just kind of just like bending over a little bit, and it's it just proves and there's video evidence. Again, I can release it on the socials after after you listen to this video evidence, and just shows how ineffective the knee that taking the knee has become in football. From the commentator's comment to Alonso not taking the knee properly, it just shows it's just become another pointless act and it might as well stop with the new season coming up because it's not doing a lot for anyone. It worked in the first week or two, but now it's just become the same as a coin toss, which no one really pays attention to. The meaning is just lost, in my opinion. There's a strong, strong difference between what the Premier League have been doing since Project Restart in taking the knee every game and what someone like Thierry Henry did in Montreal, where he took a knee on the sideline. He's the coach of the football team Montreal Impact. And he took the knee for 8 minutes and 43 seconds on the sideline by himself, off his own back, as obviously 
symbolism to kind of the George Floyd incident and yeah just kind of showing his support for that kind of movement and he really really made a statement you could see in his eyes you could see the way he meant it you know he really wanted to drum the effect of how long that knee was on George George Floyd's neck for and a further symbol of how that knee has been on the neck of so many black people for generations upon generations so are those same Premier League footballers and managers and coaches and referees, you know, are they talking about this issue before in every game? Because what's the point of taking the knee if you're going to commit a racist act after the 90 minutes, let's say? Like, are they really discussing this on a weekly basis? I'm talking about everyone here. It's, again, it's not a job for the politicians. It's not a job for the captains of the Premier Every single person should be talking about this on an absolute re- regular basis. Because otherwise, it's just going to become another one of those trendy things that just dies down after a number of months, even a number of months, a number of days and weeks, to be honest with you. You know, I just question why the Taking the Knee Act became just another mundane pre-match ritual. And to wrap up the Premier League's Black Lives Matter response and my kind of take on everything that happened... Would you believe it? And you would you would believe it if you know anything about what's going on in society. In this climate, people were still actively abusing black footballers via social media. And to be honest, I'm probably just going to list the ones that were in the news, in the headlines. But I can probably give you 99.99% of black footballers who, whether they do something bad or good, receive racist abuse on social media. The main examples, Wilfred Zahar, David McGoldrick, even a legend such as Ian Wright, all highlighting the absolutely disgusting piece of racist abuse they're facing on social media. Just some of the most disgusting language imaginable, which I will not repeat on this platform. It's just absolutely just unfathomable. And, you know, someone like Wilfred Zahar, he's talking about, I don't even want to open up and look at my Instagram anymore because he just knows the kind of things that are going to be filled on there. You know, you score a goal against a team, that team's fans will racially abuse you. You do something bad for your own team. Sometimes your own team's fans can racially abuse you. I've spoken about Tammy, Tammy, Tammy Abraham, who missed a penalty for Chelsea in a, in a cup game, which inadvertently probably caused them to lose. He's getting called a monkey and... XYZ racial names by his own fans and people are going to laugh and say yeah Chelsea have their own racial problem which they obviously do but that it's not the point because it's not specific to just Chelsea it's a UK wide problem and that's what we're trying to address with this platform and these examples you know in relation to some of the examples I've mentioned so I think the Wilfred Zahar case um the culprits and Ian Wright I think as well the culprits were arrested um and kind of dealt with and hopefully banned from football and, you know, given their necessary punishments as a societal issue. But there's a whole other episode to come on social media and how this fuels the racism in British football and the lack of consequences put in place to people who can easily create an account in two minutes and start abusing someone online. Um, yeah, that that presents a whole new problem itself to what people are seeing in the 70s 80s and 90s to do with racism um this covert nature especially in this country that we see for racism that's perpetuated by social media 
and you know people can sometimes be in denial because they're not necessarily hearing the n-word in real life let's say but this very much exists in one way or another and especially via social media so we can touch on that on a future episode but it's just I, I speak as if i'm shocked that it happened but in this climate of all times people are still choosing to have a backlash towards the fight against racism and even be more racist in their nature and it's just as as a human being it, it, it just baffles me but it just shows the problem that we're dealing with and the mountain that we have to climb to solve this issue Right, so in the true spirit of this podcast, as I've mentioned, we are always going to give a solution to the topics and the problems that we're talking about. Every episode will generate one solution, maybe even multiple solutions, but we want to be as progressive as possible. We don't just want to talk for the sake of talking. We are tired of talking, even though I'm still talking. <laughs> um, yeah, there will always be a solution. So in response to the Premier League's Black Lives Matter movement and how we can be more progressive in this instance. I'm loving the word instance tonight, aren't I? Um, <laughs> from a player's perspective, um, to be honest, and this is probably the case across most of society, it's so much more powerful to have white leaders and executives being the ones fighting the fight. So I've mentioned Jordan Henderson, who is the captain of, quote-unquote, the best team in England at the moment, he was one of the main people actively involved in getting the Black Lives Matter movement going in the Premier League in the first place. That's great. We need all the white captains, let's say, from different Premier League clubs to really be the face of this fight against racism. And, you know, we touched on the Burnley incident earlier. It was it was good and progressive that they didn't just shove one of their black players, even though they don't have that many, but shove one of their black players in front of a camera to say, oh, what do you think about the White Lives Matter thing or the Black Lives Matter? No, it was a captain, a white man who stood in front of the camera and spoke very eloquently about the issue and very powerfully about the issue and condemn, you know, that racist banner that they had and from from his own fans as well. So you need a white figure to lead this. We speak a lot in this climate about allies um, to really shake this opposition which crazily people still have against racism and that will go a long way to changing the mindsets of those kind of hard-headed racist people who essentially find themselves supporting teams and players who are black and white fighting against this cause so whilst we're fighting for the equality of black people and that's that's what black lives matter means it's not a political campaign, as I've mentioned. It's a fight for equal human rights. And as white people, let's say, are in a lot of the positions of power, we in turn, as black people, need them to lead that fight in their position of power against racism. And we've touched on the players, but what about the authorities? What about the people who really, really can make those legal and powerful changes well at the moment if you just look at on the surface they've just done a performative act which is kind of give the tick box exercise to allow those black lives matter kind of campaigns to kind of go on but we'll delve a bit deeper into what they have done so on the 10th of july the fa created a new steering group for the football leadership diversity code um which is what it's called, they met for the first time um, on the 10th of July. Um, they were led by Paul Elliott, 
who's a middle-aged black man. Um, he chaired the group, and the group included Troy Deeney, who is a Premier League captain, or tense, he was a Premier League captain. His team had just been relegated, but he's a, you know, quite outspoken public figure in the football world. Rachel Yankee, a successful uh, black British footballer. Nigel Pearson, who is, um, at the time, was Watford manager, so Premier League manager. Chris Hewton, who is a very... A good successful manager in the Premier League and Tyro Mings, who is a Premier League defender, also black as well. Um, they were essentially tasked with driving the development of the football leadership diversity code. Mouthful, but um, yeah, they their aim was basically to kind of confirm that code from the FA and make sure it's installed by they've quoted Sunday the 11th of October which is supposed to be England's next game at Wembley so you know we're gonna pin that one down they've given us a date that this football leadership diversity code will kind of be delivered and in place by the 11th of October so we'll come back to that and we will come back to that um, to see the results of that initial meeting so that's the FA um which is the Football Association, for those who don't know, that's the people who essentially run football in England. Then you go to the Premier League, which is the top division in England. They appointed Paul Monacoso Cleo as their equality advisor. Um, so that's another black person who they've brought essentially on to the group of equality advisors to kind of help the fight. Um, this aim was to consult with you know, the heads of organisations by actually assessing the work that they're currently undertaking on anti-discrimination and actually recommending how those in the top flight and its clubs can do better, um, essentially putting a strategy together for each of the 20 teams. So they're allowing a black person to come in and actually, you know, check and give the necessary checks and balances to their work. So again, that's a couple of examples of progressive acts that they have done. Um, with regard to that, like I've mentioned as well, it still needs to be those white figures at the heads of the fight against racism. So, for example, the Premier League, they've appointed a black person, let's say, to G-check some of the things that they're doing. But we still need to be seeing white people speaking against these issues and being the faces of these anti-racist campaign so you can have the black people in the background because we don't want to do all the talking we, we do enough talking and complaining in terms of being the victims of this quite you know barbaric and inhumane issue but if white people cause the issue white people have to be the ones fixing the issue we're going to call a spade a spade on this in on this podcast black people didn't create racism so we shouldn't have to be the ones to fight it so that's the solution presented beyond the hashtag we need to be seeing white faces on the posters the promotions the speeches to the house of commons everywhere has to be white faces we don't want to be seeing token black faces on the front of a of of an anti-racism campaign it's just not going to cut the mustard anymore as we know the world especially the football world rarely ever stands still and there have been some updates recently regarding the current status of british football's reaction to black lives matter and their actual plans going forward i'll start with what the athletic reported um a couple of weeks ago which was that dialogue actually hasn't even taken place with the premier league about their plans for the response to social injustice um 
so as mentioned earlier in the pod, they did the Black Lives Matter badges, took the knee, etc. But no plans as of yet have been even discussed as to what they're going to do for the new season. Um, even as we approach, you know, a few days before the season, which is when you guys will be listening to this podcast, it shows essentially how high or not high it is on their priority list ahead of football restarting for the new season. They could probably stick with taking the knee as it's an easy thing to do. Um, but alternatively, if the knee is removed, then when else will players be able to openly show their peaceful protest on the pitch? You know, most of the time football gets its largest amount of views from people watching live games. So if players use the opportunity to make a peaceful protest to continue the discussion, then it keeps it as part of the main view and main focus even though you know it has its let's say cons itself but it still brings a certain amount of awareness if you eradicate that completely then where else can footballers protest apart from maybe social media essentially people's attention needs to be kept on this issue and if the Premier League hasn't even discussed how it's going to progress the issue going forward then that's not a good sign in my point of view they really need to provide a united front or will end up having a repeat of what was a Champions League game also took place in August, which was against Man which was Man City against Real Madrid, where Raheem Sterling, who also plays in the Premier League, he went to take a knee, as was common practice during Premier League times, and the game just kicked off normally, like and he looks a, a bit silly. I'll insert the clip onto socials after the podcast is released, but the game is about to kick off. Normally, you know, they spend about five to ten seconds taking a knee and then you kick off. But his teammates and the opposition just kicked off and he went down on one knee and all of a sudden he had to get back up because the ball was going to be in his area of play. And it's just, it just looked a bit shambolic. And, you know, certain football executives, um, namely a gentleman called Sol Bamba, um, he's a former player, he reinforced the need to progress past the trends as obviously what we're trying to do and beyond the hashtag once the trends are passed and the hashtags are over and the dust is settled how many black executives and managers are they going to be and are the discrimination incidents actually going to be going down what is the level of punishment for the racists compared to others so recent example or example that loads of people use in football is you know a player gets fined x amount of hundred pounds or euros for revealing a betting sponsorship on his shirt um, or on his boxer sorry and you know you you get fined half maybe even a tenth of that for a group of racist fans uh abusing a player for example so yeah is that ever going to change we don't know furthermore also in america we've seen which is often seen as the height of the social injustice protest the nba players they did something a bit more than taking the knee, which was actually refuse to play for a whole round of games during the playoffs, which is, you know, their heightened area of competition. Starting with the Milwaukee Bucks, they just didn't show up. The TV cameras were ready and they just stayed in the dressing room after what was another um, shooting related to racial injustice of Jacob Blake. And yeah, the, the players have just got fed up of just these kind of pointless acts again and they just said no like we're gonna really really stick the knife in and you know affect your tv views the money coming to executives etc by just refusing to play altogether uh also female tennis player naomi osaka also did this um sort of in the tennis world and you know it, it just shows that sports stars are, t- are starting to 
really think that it's, it's just what they're doing is just not enough and they need to take it to the next level. Could the Premier League ever do this? That's the question. Could could Arsenal or Man City just turn up and say, actually, you know what, until you guys get your act together in terms of the executives, we're just not going to turn up in the stadium. You're going to have fans all there <laughs> turning up to a game and, you know, it gets to three o'clock on a Saturday and no players walk out of the tunnel. Like, would play, Premier League players ever take the stand that far? Remains to be seen. Um, and it just begs the question as well. Are players in British football ever allowed to be their individual selves? You know, they're often seen as robots who just represent the views of the fans of the club. And yes, the fans in football are essentially everything because they provide all the money and the support, etc. But, you know, everyone looks up to and idolises the players. And why can't they be their individual selves as, you know, essentially their NBA players are in America? You know, they for the playoffs currently going on in America, you see if you watch any NBA game or highlight, all the players are wearing on the back of their jerseys different phrases relating to social injustice, whether that's Black Lives Matter itself, whether that's education reform, whether that's equality. If you look, all of them have something different, whether that's white player, black player. It seems to me I haven't seen any different that everyone else is doing that, and that's them showing their individual selves. What I've often seen in this country especially relating to British football and in England is that people think aligning yourself to Black Lives Matter means you're aligning yourself to the political organisation but no saying you support Black Lives Matter shows that you're in support of equal human rights and by doing acts in the name of Black Lives Matter means you want to act in support of equality and justice and I, I just feel like people want any excuse to try and bring down a movement which they're essentially scared will actually bring change to their comfortable status in society. That's that's just how I view it. And I guess within the football world, the true test of how they're responding to racism will be seen when the fans are allowed back into the stadiums, when all these COVID restrictions have kind of been uh, lessened to an extent. So, you know, how have they reacted to seeing Black Lives Matter from television? Will, will the reported incidents go down? Or you know, will people actually feel more comfortable to report... Uh, incidents of racist abuse or discrimination in the stadiums by their fellow supporters um, will they feel more comfortable to do that so you'll see numbers go up I don't know but you know time will tell if 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 that will change and I think I'll do a whole new episode on fans themselves because I can delve into many many different areas on on that subject but one thing I'll leave you with for free is that I've seen multiple examples of fans on Twitter saying oh I really want to come back to the stadiums but you know I just hope they don't do that black power knee thing you know because it's just yeah that's not really my thing I don't want footballers like doing political protests and just uh, (laughs) like it just it makes me laugh just because you know and I'm more than happy to show people screenshots because people are actually saying this so for the people who think this thing doesn't this type of thing doesn't exist it's there for all to see if you go under the comments of any major platform posting about Black Lives Matter etc relating to football you'll see those kind of comments come out so yeah whether that's going to be reflected with the actual fans on the pitch because a lot of those Twitter accounts are just kind of bots who are just there to troll and annoy people but we'll see as the Premier League restarts. And there we have it episode one finito done um thank you so much all of you who have got through to the end of this episode it really really means a lot um this is just the start of something we hope to be amazing and hope to be really really powerful in our society so 
you know, I really appreciate everybody, every single person who has, you know, made the effort and taken the time out to listen to this podcast. I really, really welcome all feedback, all suggestions, and just, I would appreciate more than anything, just the evolved discussion and people who genuinely are interested in making a change and want to know how they can make a change. That's what I'm interested to get from this podcast. Um, But more than anything, of course, I appreciate anyone who shares this podcast, who you know, tells a friend to tell a friend about this podcast, all that good, good stuff. But, you know, I'm just Stephen, giving my voice, giving my opinion and, you know, trying to change the world one goal at a time. So thanks so much, guys. And yeah, look forward to episode two very, very soon. Take care. God bless. Here at Beyond the Hashtag, we welcome all who are invested in breaking the generational chains of racial injustice one goal at a time. If you are interested in making any suggestions, some of the topics we've spoken about, you can email us at hellobeyondhashtag at gmail.com. That's hellobeyondhashtag at gmail.com. All of our contact details, socials will be available in every episode description, both this one you're listening to now and all the ones to come. If you simply want to continue the discussion via socials or provide any feedback or support, We welcome you at Twitter, Beyond Hashtag, that's Beyond Hashtag on Twitter. On Instagram, Beyond Hashtag underscore, that's Beyond Hashtag underscore. And our episodes are always available on Spotify, Apple Music and Anchor FM. We thank you once again and God richly bless.